0: Welcome back to Hints and Guesses, my podcast. This is Kent Dobson. It is good to be back. I've been sick. Oh, man. Michigan winters and kids coming and going from school. I'm sure you know what it's like. Um, I mean, maybe it was a bit of a man-cold situation, but I was down and um, just now recovering. And today's podcast, in fact, is related to being sick, because <laughs> I want to make a podcast on vulnerability. So the title is, the Cl- uh, well, I almost gave you the, the other title. <laughs> I was going to call it The Cult of Vulnerability, because there's something going on in our spiritual-ish circles, a lot of talk about vulnerability. And as a kind of um, ultimate way of being in the world, I suppose you could say. Hold on, I have to adjust my mic here. Um, But I I thought I'd give a a, a less provocative title, but equally true, and that is um, the vulnerability hangover. I don't know if you've ever had one, vulnerability hangover. (laughs) They're quite serious. I mean, I don't know, you're with some group and you overshare And the next day you're like, what the hell was I thinking? And part of it feels right and part of it doesn't. And so I want to talk about that. And and I think culturally speaking, I have a bit of a vulnerability hangover. I have a hangover from the overuse of this word. And um, I don't know, one of the things I like to do, not because I like to nitpick, but because I'm genuinely, genuinely curious about words and how they're used and um, I guess that's part of my craft as a teacher and a writer, not that I'm you know, super good at it. I misuse words all the time, or I, I even use words I don't understand at times. Um, but I like to pay attention to what's going on in the lexicon of psychology and spirituality, or what I call the psycho-spiritual world, um, or mind-body-spirit world, or um, the health world. What words are being used and why, and what is meant by them, and Um, and vulnerability is one of those words that has, I've been attracted to for a long time and also, and recently kind of like a little leery of and repulsed by at times. Like what, what is this? So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about vulnerability, not as like, is it good or is it bad, but to try to get under the surface a little bit and, and really even to talk about the origin of the word itself. And I think I'll try to share like some hints and guesses, title of my podcast, um, about, about the word and about it's, um, I don't know, it is an ingredient in a healthy spirituality and, and let's try to parse that out a bit. And, um, and anyway, that's the train I want to try to cover today as best I can. And I want to thank you for being a listener. Uh, the podcast it continues to grow a little bit, which is very, very exciting. So thank you. And you can help it grow by sharing it. That's, I mean, the, it's really in your hands. That's the most direct way. I don't do any advertising or anything like that. It's just people who tell people that Kent Thompson has a podcast and you should listen to it. So thank you for doing that. And it makes a difference. And a special thanks to my Patreon supporters who um, have signed up to help me on a monthly basis. It makes a big difference. And I can't thank you enough. And it's also a platform where we can, you know, converse a little bit and you can share your thoughts and ideas and questions. And, and it helps the wheels turn and keeps my feet to the fire. And because I want this podcast to be helpful. And I don't often know. Um, in what way. And anyway, my Patreon supporters help me see little ways in which it's helpful um, or, and sometimes unhelpful. But that, that conversation, I think, uh, has been really life-giving to me. So thank you. And uh, maybe just a couple things on the advertising front. Um, I have a, a Lent Descent course, which is full now. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for signing up for it. It's a five-week online course, and I will be doing others, so you can stay up to date with what's going on in in my world and different things I'm offering by signing up for my newsletter, which I'm actually doing. I sent out my first one. So anyway, the link is on my website, kentapsen.com. And uh, the other thing I, I, I want to maybe drop um, a hint for is I will be doing two Israel trips in 2020 one, one in January, which is not that far away, and then one in April. And more information will come out in my next newsletter about it. But if that interests you, also send me an email through the website, and I can get you on the potential interested person list. And I have some actually new ideas for how I'm going to do the next couple of Israel trips. They always evolve, but um, I've recently had some inspiration about how to continue to make these more interesting and life-giving and rewarding and so forth and so on. So I'm going to change it up, um, but I don't want to say much about that right now because I want to get into the podcast on, uh, on vulnerability. So what is a good place to start? Let me think. Maybe with the definition. Vulnerability comes from a Latin word. And I don't want to do the whole etymology, you can look it up online if you want, but it's rooted in wound. So that already ought to change the conversation about what, quote, being vulnerable is. It is connected to our wounds. And what I hear in that, in the etymology of the word itself, has two sort of iterations. The first is our personal wounds. You could even say our core wound or wounds and the capacity for contact with our core wounds. Because let me say something about our core wounds. We're often not in contact with them. Even if we think we are, we might be saying something that we think is emotionally vulnerable, but we might actually have no idea what our core wounds are and what stories are operating around those core wounds. And that's why really good therapy is so surprising for people. It's never what you think, in other words. So I think being vulnerable on the personal level, um, is a, on one level, is about your relationship with your wounds. That is not the same thing as saying you should share them, or talk about them, or expose them, or continue to expose them. I'm just saying contact with them. If you tell me I'm just trying to be vulnerable, I think to myself, how connected are you with your wounds? That's what the word itself is, is luring us toward. The other is maybe, cult, well, cultural, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but um, maybe larger than personal. Transpersonal would be the right way to put it. And that is our fundamental vulnerability as human beings. Our great wound, which is something like th- our consciousness around our own mortality and fragility, and um, and uh, shadow light side. In other words, we're not so pure, um, and that's collective. That's collective. It's not. I mean, it's personal, but it's not personal. You're going to die. In other words, and again, someone's like, "Hey, I'm just trying to be vulnerable." How conscious of you, how conscious are you of your impending death, <laughs> of your mortality of, or as the Buddhists say, everything, 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 Everything is impermanent, including your present physical manifestation and your present consciousness, your um, e- your state between the two mysteries of birth and death. So, and on one level, what is being vulnerable, it's contact with our own impermanence and vulnerability, um, or impermanence and uh, mortality, is what I meant to say. So, that's interesting. I mean, if you just, if you know a little bit now, now that you do, of the uh, definition itself, is that the way people are using it? And the short answer is, mm, probably not. What some people mean by vulnerability is emotional sharing. I have feelings, and I want others to know about my feelings. And I'm not criticizing that. Um, But that's what passes. Or being real, um, sharing my truth, passes as vulnerability. Um, And what else might we say? I think um, I think maybe another way of saying the same thing is like people often use the word of vulnerability and, and sharing in a vulnerable way, especially in small group context, as um, sharing unprocessed emotions, or that's often what ends up happening because it's kind of contagious. I've been in small groups and small circles, and and someone shares. Unprocessed emotional pain, or sorry, my phone's going off. Um, and it's actually kind of amazing, but also contagious and around the horn it can go. And, um, and oftentimes that sort of situation is what leads to a vulnerability hangover, where the next day you're like, What the hell was that? Or, and then you, and then even worse, in the moment. Maybe you hear someone sharing and you're non-judgmental and you're open to them and you're hearing and you're listening and um, you're accepting them. And the next day you're like, e- I don't know what the heck that was about. See, um, the context itself might, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to, um, I have some ideas about this. But anyway, this kind of um, a scene of uh, sharing unprocessed emotions often passes as vulnerability. Um and, and we, I think another thing that's worth saying about the word itself is that in spiritual ish circles, it's praised. In non spiritual ish circles, it's demonized. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm caricaturing both of these a bit. So uh, forgive me for that. But, you know, uh, business world or uh, politics or uh, the military or um, success. There's not a lot of room for that. In fact, it gets criticized um, as weakness, That's what I'm saying, as weakness, that uh, vulnerability is weakness and therefore should be avoided and should definitely not be out in the public sphere. That's being challenged a bit by um, researchers. Or Bre- Brene Brown is, is one who's bringing at least a conversation about vulnerability into the workplace. And of course, uh, probably not everything I'm saying here is gonna harmonize with what she's been offering the world, but she's been offering a tremendous gift in in bringing up the conversation around shame um and around vulnerability and and getting it not just in and not keeping it just inside intimate relationships but extending that out and even into the work environment so hold on i got to take a quick break okay um so i've got six or seven things that again i'm offering as hints and guesses, please um, hear my offerings as questions and musings and convictions. And of course, I'm open to being wrong. And and actually, that is an expression of vulnerability. Um, I'm not the center of the universe or of knowledge or wisdom. And um, in fact, I'm going to die. So um, maybe the first thing I want to say is that Vulnerability, even as it's used kind of culturally right now, does not belong everywhere. And, and the idea or, or the expression that it does, like, I'm going to really show up and really be my true self and really be vulnerable in all contexts is a kind of, um, uh, it's an illusion. It's not possible on the one hand, and on the other, creates a kind of unhelpful uh, facade about what it is that you're up to. And it also uh, is a way of forcing your supposed vulnerability on people and contexts that may or may not be deserving of it or may or may not be the healthiest place for such a thing. And may actually be counterproductive. Um, now, I might be saying something that's kind of obvious, but um, but I think it it does creep its way in, especially if you're in kind of spiritual-ish kind of circles where vulnerability gets praised a lot. And um, so, let me say it in, in a couple of other ways. Here's in the form of a question: Does the internet deserve your vulnerability? Now think about that in a very straightforward way. Does the internet does the internet deserve your verbal version or your image version of your supposed vulnerability? Does it deserve it? Is that is that the context for come back to the original definition for the your core wound, the place where your core wound shows up? Or is exposed really because it's something we carry our core wounds, wounds, and we carry knowledge and consciousness of our own impending um, mortality. And is this the context for bearing that open, for um, opening up the chest, so to speak? And I mean, and when you just put it that directly, the answer, it seems to me, is no. The internet does not deserve your vulnerability, um, especially in sort of a blanket way, and um, and I'm even now thinking of uh, of a question. Um, I ran into Brene Brown back when I was um, a megachurch pastor, and I put some questions up on my wall that came from one of her books. I don't even remember, and the only and one of them I'm thinking of now is is she said is. I'm about to share something, um, and in sharing it, do I expect a certain response or not? And what will be my feeling if I get it or I don't get it? See, that's, that's a question about context. In other words, I'm going to show up, I'm going to try to tell the truth as best I can, but what am I really doing? And am I expecting a certain kind of reaction or response or feedback? And if so, will I be disappointed if I get it or I don't get it? She's poking around in some of these questions of truth and of showing up and and of exposing. Like, is this the context for exposing a core wound? And Am I looking for a kind of response? Those are very subtle. Often we don't, it's like, I think those things are operating mostly on the unconscious level until we ask a question like that. And then it's like, oh, I see. Okay, I was about to tell this story and really I'm hoping for some sympathy or I'm about to tell this story and I'm hoping to be self-deprecating um, and funny and therefore liked or I'm about to um, share this support this fact that I found, and I'm actually really hoping to shock people. And, you know, th- those are very subtle things, especially those of us who are teachers, um, often don't want to look at because we think, well, it's funny or, you know, well, it's just this is what happened to me. And I'm just telling you the, you know, a story. That's all. But that's not all. That's not all that's going on. Um, so just to, uh, what am I highlighting? I'm highlighting the the question of context. Um, and I think you can bring this even down to To the group level like the small group level or your group of friends does this person or these people do they deserve um, and deserve I know it it is is a tricky um, word because you might find yourself feeling morally superior but that's not really way the way I mean it maybe the better question is is this a sacred context for my wounds to be exposed and if the answer to that is no, don't. If it's not a sacred, and I'm not exactly saying safe space, I'm avoiding that a little bit because that's also overused. I could do a whole podcast on safe spaces, and I kind of had mentioned that in the past, but um, sacred space I think is better because if you show up in a vulnerable way in the world, that is unsafe. There's no context of full safety. For that kind of vulnerability it's actually an experience of one's utter uh vulnerability that is an unsafe kind of uh experience and feeling so you can't expect that on the on the outset so i think a better way of putting it or a more uh more subtle way of putting it is sacred and um will it be held in a sacred way or honored in a sacred way and i think i have to also be open enough to be challenged um in that way. And, and maybe this leads to a kind of a sub point of this is that vulnerability right now, the way it's being used, the word is often used like a weapon. Um, something like, uh, I'm going to really share this emotionally difficult thing and you don't have then the right to question me. And that happens a lot. Um, I used to work with young people, um, and Oversharing like this, the result often was, and I think it's a kind of defense mechanism in a way, is to say, you can't question me, you can't challenge me. It's not quite the same thing. Again, back to my definition of vulnerability. And I'll give you an example that was kind of tragic. So um, I used to work at a Christian school and we had chapels. And imagine, you know, seven, eight hundred kids gathering once a week or more than once a week. And, um, we'd have some music and and often a teaching. And I'd do some teaching and other teachers would. And sometimes we'd have guests. And um, I often did the music too, along with the students. And and a lot of it was student-led. And, and, and me and another guy were in charge of chapels, essentially. And um, I can't remember how the circumstances came about exactly, but we sort of handed over a few chapels to the students. And, and they chose this one girl to uh, give a talk. And um, I didn't see her talk ahead of time. I don't know about my colleague, Um, but they, whatever, she had uh, uh, created a talk and um, she had some slides and so forth. And it turned out she had a really um, significant uh, skin disorder of some sort. And she was also a very beautiful person, but you couldn't really tell um, because she didn't have much of the skin disorder on her face. So it was mostly covered, in other words. And she's giving the talk, and, and as soon as she started, I was like, oh, shit. Um, this is not, in my view, the, a sacred context. Seven, 800 students um, going down this path. And she, then she put up a, a photograph of her back. And it was a very um, provocative and, and vulnerable photograph wrong context. But in in the kind of, um, I think the students, as best they could, some of them, um, handled, handled it very well. Others did not handle it very well. And it had that counter effect. But the odd thing about is like, you can't then now say anything negative about me because I've overshared sh- here. And it's kind of pro- creates a kind of protective shield that doesn't actually work. Because then students are talking about behind their back they're talking about that photograph and they're like ooh you know they're saying little comments because they're freaking teenagers and don't act like adults are any better they're not um, and that and again back to back to the question of of uh, context and, and that's what I mean as a kind of a weapon it's used as a kind of weapon um, and <laughs> here's another example um, when I worked at a, at a mega church one time we were we, I was on a, we set up a new committee and, and we said to some of the employees, you come up with the rules for how we're going to, It was kind of an executive sort of committee and lots of different people were on it and we we're trying to tackle a problem. And, and they came up with a list of rules and rule number one was uh, be vulnerable. <laughs> and I thought, this is like the opposite. You can't demand such a thing. You can't say you have to be vulnerable. Otherwise I'm not playing the game. That's again, a, a kind of immature use of it as a, as a sort of weapon. Um, and and you hear it now in relationship problems. Well, my problem is my partner's not being vulnerable and or so-and-so is not being vulnerable or my vol- boss is not being vulnerable. And I mean, at a certain point, you're like, what are we talking about? But um, I think what most people mean is they're not being emotionally open or available or raw or real. And sometimes they just mean something more simple, like they're not telling the truth, which may be the case. But again, is this the right context for core wounds? And is being real really about unloading either your unprocessed emotion, your traumas, your pains, your wounds on any willing subject? I say no, that does violence to you and to the, and to the person the audience, to the context. It does violence. It forces something. And it ends up doing violence to you personally, um, which can lead to a, vulner- a vulnerability hangover. So I think you, uh, I imagine you're probably tracking with what I'm saying. Um, and maybe since I mentioned something about intimate relationships, I've been, I've been thinking a bit about this. So um, I agree that an intimate relationship without vulnerability is not an intimate relationship. But it's not about sharing, I don't think. It's what happens in a real intimate relationship is that your wounds get exposed. That's what happens. You don't choose necessarily to expose them. They get exposed. That's the definition of an intimate relationship, really, is that I'm, um, this person experiences All of me over time and not in a pretty cleaned up, sophisticated, linear timeline of progressions like, oh, I revealed this and now I'm going to reveal this and now I just mean, no, actually something much more raw, which is at times and often the most inconvenient times, all of a sudden my wounds get exposed. There they are. And often that's coming coming out in the terms of reactivity or being hooked by something or, or uh, some obsession that you have a hard time explaining and, and, and it's really connected to your core wounds and core scripts. And that's what happens in, in an intimate relationship. And an intimate relationship that can withstand the other's woundedness is a real intimate relationship. It's like uh, what Rilke says, where two solitudes bow to one another. There's a kind of honoring of the sacredness of the other and their woundedness without fixing it, or bandaging it up, or um, or explaining it away, or saying, "Oh, those are old stories. That's crazy." No, someone's core wound is their core wound. I just thought of it like to make it light. I just thought of a Pearl Jam lyric: um, "Are you strong enough to be my man? Bandage hand in hand." Yes, I'm a Pearl Jam like fanatic. So always floating around in my head. Um, not that he's like the greatest lyricist, Eddie Vedder, that's ever lived. But anyway, are you strong enough to be my man or other bandaged hand in hand? Cause that's what it feels like. It's like your wounds are there, but it, there's a kind of strength that's needed just to face them. And, and maybe that's where the bandage is. And I'm, I'm probably making a little bit too much of this, like one line that popped into my head, but whatever. Um, Okay, so those are those are the first sort of three things I was uh, thinking a bit about that are worth kind of turning over, I think, in your head. Another thing I'd like to say comes from David White. He says it much more directly. He says, vulnerability is not chosen. And I heard him say that and I was like shocked. I was like, what do you mean it's not chosen? I thought that's the, I'm choosing vulnerability. I'm gonna show up and be vulnerable. He says, it's not a choice. If If you're choosing it, You're deluding yourself. Um, Actually, being vulnerable is, uh, is the fundamental way of being in the world. It is the fundamental way of being in the world. The question is, how connected are you to the fundamental reality of your own existence? That's what he's saying. Meaning, your mortality, your woundedness, your... Uh, capacities for greatness, your capacities for darkness, um, your inability to control um, all the factors of your life, all of those things, your, the rawness of just being exposed to life itself. That is not a choice. The only is involved is in how many layers you are putting between your fundamental reality and who you think you are all the strategies and coping mechanisms and stories and layers you're actually stacking up and putting between you and that fundamental reality. So again, that shifts the conversation to you want to be vulnerable. It's a question of, of walking with tremendous courage toward the, the anxiety of your, of your own existence. Um, and that has nothing to do with sharing anything at all with anybody. In fact, um, maybe maybe it's time for a poem. So I thought of this poem. Um, I may have shared it before. It's so freaking good. Um, this is a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye. And it's called The Art of Disappearing. In case you need some permission here um, when it comes to our culture of oversharing. Um when they say, don't I know you? Say, no. Uh, when they invite you to the party, remember what parties are like before answering. Someone telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. This is at the party. Someone telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. My version. Someone telling you in a loud voice they once gave a sermon. <laughs> or someone telling you in a loud voice. Whatever. Um Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate, then reply. So remember what parties are like before you answer, then reply. If they say, we should get together, and I'm going to extend it, we should get together, we should really talk, we should really connect, say, why? It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something. It's not that you don't love them anymore but you're trying to remember something. In parentheses, I might add, your fundamental way of being in the, the fundamental reality of your own existence in the world. You're trying to remember something. Who am I really? That's too important to forget, she says. Trees. The monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all of your new songs or sharing about all your wounds and the work you've done. (laughs) When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Like the definition of vulnerability. Then decide what to do with your time. Again, that's the art of disappearing. So, um what what do i what's another way of putting i think david white and maybe naomi here is saying something like uh being a certain way in the world being is much more important than sharing being and trying to remember one's fundamental way of being and the things that are really calling to you like she says like trees or the monastery bell at twilight things that really ring your bell so to speak um and and maybe uh, vulnerability. If you, if you if you begin to think about it less like words and more like a body posture, like here's an interesting question: What body posture reflects um, your core wounds? And what would it look like to um, uh, put your body in that position? That's a that's a that would be an act of getting in touch with vulnerability. What body posture? Uh, expresses your core wounds um, or the fragility of your own existence. Um, uh, yeah, so um, maybe here's the fifth thing I want to say about it. Um, when it comes to sharing what it what it's like to be us, which is a lifelong task and maybe as an aside, why are we talking about vulnerability anyway? Because it's part of growing up and coming into greater consciousness. And um, and we desperately need to grow up. As Bill Plotkin says, we live in a patho-adolescent culture. Um, we're pathologically adolescent as a culture, and it's our um, center of gravity as a culture. Very few adults out there, um, and very few healthy, generative, life-giving adults, and even fewer elders who are telling us the stories and protecting the earth and, um, thinking about the next seven generations. So why are we talking about vulnerability? Because it's part of the process of growing up. So it matters. Um, but, um, we'd often don't know what's true when it uh, comes out of our mouth. So one of my, one, one of the teachers I like, she, I one time heard her say, um, um I'll never betray that inner voice. I thought oh that's nice, but which one? You know, which one? Like the ego? <laughs> um or or some persona? Some mask? Some wounded child, some loyal soldier, some escapist, some lion tamer, um some shadow, some uh prince or princess, you know, I have like a whole army of people of inner voices, so to speak. So easier said than done. So the the task itself is is noble. It's the path of soul to say, I want to choose authenticity. And you don't get to find out about authenticity, except by choosing it, Um, except by walking bravely into the into the reality of your own existence, saying, this is what it's like to be me. But at the same time, you're saying the moment you say that, you also, there's a seed of doubt in there that says something like, and you are just finding out. And after all, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but um, the person, you, your best friend, your spouse, your lover, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parent, they are, your kid, in truth, They are a fundamental mystery unto you. You think you know them, ha, barely. Hints and guesses, but they are a mystery. And if that's the case, it's also the case on the inner landscape. You are a mystery to yourself. So um, this whole obsession with being real and showing up and telling your truth, I mean, I I have to remind myself, okay, I'm going to show up. I'm going to say what I think is true and needed in this context, and especially, and I might ask questions like, is this a sacred context, especially if there's some woundedness involved, but I have to also have the courage to say, I might be wrong. I might be wrong about, um, about the way I'm putting things, about the story that I'm spinning. And I don't know, I'm in my 40s now, and I've seen even major life stories that I've told for years dissolve, um, get rearranged, get dismantled. And sometimes by telling them and, and telling them again, I, I, I feel myself, wait a minute, I don't know if that's true anymore. Or that's the way I saw it. But I think there's a whole other landscape just beneath that story that I've committed my life to telling and retelling. Um, I, mean, I mean, think about the cliche version like, um, uh, you probably all know the guy usually guy, but not exclusively, um, who's living in the glory days, you know, and every single time you get together, it's like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, one time in college, you know, we're hitting a few beers and then, and then a very funny story comes out. And it's like, um, once you've heard it 10 times or 15 times, you realize, okay, they're stuck. They're stuck in that persona, that mask, that way of being, that way of telling the story. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if, um, if that story began to dismantle and questions like, wait a minute, why was I doing that? Um, why was I trying to pull this prank? You know, And then all of a sudden, whatever, I don't know. Um, but that's what growing up looks like. Even, even our stories And the stories we tell about ourselves and what we call the truth gets rewritten. Um, Especially if we are on any kind of authentic spiritual and psychological path. That's the path of growth. Um, The stories themselves get rearranged. Um, And here's the... So uh, two more things. Number six. um, When I... Uh, first encountered um bill plotkin one of my teachers who started animus valley institute in colorado where i'm a um in their training program um i first heard him teach with richard rohr and somebody gave me a copy this is like back in the days of cds and um bootlegging stuff and I mean that still goes on, not serious so much. But um, anyway, someone gave me a copy, and and I was really interested because at the time I was just super into Richard Rohr and and um, and I kind of was like, well, I don't know this other guy, Bill Pluck or whatever. But my experience was quite the opposite, where I was like, okay, I like Richard Rohr, but whatever this other guy is saying, I've never heard anybody talk like this. And um, and and if I remember correct correctly, he was talking a bit about rites of passage, and it just lit me up, I mean, both because I had read some Joseph Campbell and some other writers on on uh, Rite's Passage, and um, I felt a kind of cultural hole uh, in this area, and maybe personal hole too. And, um, and then he started talking about the Vision Fast, and, and at that point I got into some of his writings, and the Vision Fast itself, um, which according to Bill Plotkin, he is trying to um, create a contemporary expression of the vision fast. You're not trying to do some Lakota thing or some Native American thing, but it's, that's, um, fasting is one of the most universal and oldest expressions of, um, spiritual discipline or a consciousness shifting practice that we know of. I mean, that's Jesus 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. So, um, uh, in any case, it also scared me. And, um, and I've, and, I, and I've done a vision fast, a four-day fast out in the wilderness. It's a little bit longer experience at Animus where there's some um, prep work and group work and then some post stuff. So it's very intense. But the, the whole point, the, the symbolic point of a vision fast is to expose yourself to the way things are, to the natural world to empty yourself, to not even go with any food, to not have any inputs. No iPhone, no cell phone reception, no distractions, no food, just enough um, shelter so you don't die out there. But it is actually much closer to the fundamental nature of being, meaning vulnerability in its traditional sense of the word. It's an experience of vulnerability. And it's funny because I can even now uh, I, I did one a few years ago, barely have words for the, the experience itself because it was happening unto me. And um, I was experiencing myself in my own fundamental nakedness, to put it that way. And the fragility of my own existence, and also with my desires and hang-ups, and and desire to to do something meaningful in my life and with my life, and to listen to voices beyond the ones that had you know uh, controlled me up to that point. I am so all kinds of other factors are stirring around in there. But this idea that um, we would expose ourselves to nature without uh, all of the tools and mechanisms and words. Uh, is an experience of vulnerability, and it requires solitude. And I think if if I could sum up um, what I, the aim of this podcast is to say something like this. It's much more likely that the practice of solitude in your life will lead you through the transformative gates of vulnerability than a companion, then sharing, then groups, then Facebook, then the internet, then blog posts and books. Solitude. This, as Rilke says, to walk out into your heart as onto a vast plain. To walk out into your heart as onto a vast plain. And there the immense loneliness begins. That is Vulnerability, and it's not so pretty. I mean, how can that freaking be popular? Um, and I think um, this invitation of solitude is is so countercultural. I mean, and I can feel it in my own life. I mean, when when I go to wild places, it takes me about a day, sometimes two. Sometimes I have to go through a series of rituals and prayers to help me let go. Um, and just accept the fact that I'm in a wild place with no no cell phone reception. Because it's like there's a clinginess to our culture. And at every moment, like I was making this podcast a minute ago and my phone's blowing up and I forgot to turn it off. And it's like at any moment, anybody can annoy me and ask me questions about anything. I got a text about, about a jacket that was on sale for my friend. So, I mean, thanks. I, I'm, I'm interested in the jacket. Um, but... It's just like constant, 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 constant. Nothing in our culture um, praises or invites us into the transformative gates of solitude. And there's nothing like solitude um, to lead us uh, to vulnerability and to a deeper experience of our fundamental fragility and mortality and closer to our wounds. And and here's the final thing I want to say and it comes from Robert Bly. He says, to rise, you must descend into your wounds. The fundamental, transformative, um, story of human nature is to rise, you must descend. That's the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's, um, um, reincarnation, the the cycle, the birth, death, uh, birth, death, birth, death, or the life, death, life cycle. Um, It's saying the same thing. To rise, we must descend into our wounds. We think it's the opposite. To rise, I must overcome my wounds, fix my wounds, heal my wounds, um, uh, just expose them so that people can see them and then move on. No, to descend into them. And that's not such friendly territory. Um, You might need some help on that particular journey. It's definitely countercultural. But I think... Uh, to offer um, uh, another definition of vulnerability as I've been trying to hover around it in my own way is to use Robert Bly, which is to rise, you must descend into your wounds. So my friends, I trust there's um, something you heard and that piqued your interest that um, got like a thorn in your side, um, or, um, I hope challenged you or encouraged you, uh, to keep going on this, um, on the, on the wild and transformative path of death and resurrection of rebirth. So thanks for listening.